Hey, everyone, and welcome to the State of the Art Podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists to first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world and explore how other creative industries, such as music and fashion, were democratized using technology. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Bango. If you're looking to spruce up your space and add inspiration to your home or office, there's no better way than original art. And Bango is changing the way we discover art from some of the best emerging artists. So visit bangoart.com or download the Bango app on iTunes and use promo code STATEOFTHEART to get 15% off your first purchase. Now, in this episode, I'm excited to welcome the CTO of Artsy, Daniel Dabrowkin. Artsy is a platform that brings galleries online and has the big vision to make all the world's art accessible to anyone with an internet connection. They're also home to the Art Genome Project, which defines the characteristics that distinguish and connect works of art, architecture, artifacts, and design. Today, I talked to Daniel about why art makes the world a better place, how artists are like startups, and how the experience around art will change. So please, allow me to welcome today's guest, Daniel Dabrowkin. Daniel, it is a pleasure to have you on the State of the Art podcast. Thanks for having me. We are sitting here in your office on the 25th floor, overlooking essentially all of Manhattan. Both sides. Both sides. This is the best view I've, I've ever had in recording a podcast. So maybe I'll have to come back and record some more with you. Thank you. It is an amazing view. And we like to record our own podcast here in the same room. Okay. Uh, well, we'll talk more about how to find that podcast. Tell the audience uh, you know, quickly about yourself. Um, my name is Daniel Dubrovkin. I go by DB. I'm CTO at artsy, artsy.net. I've been here for about uh, six and a half years, almost since the beginning of the company. Yeah. Uh, I was born in Russia. I lived there uh, through Soviet times till I was about 12 years old. And then my family left for uh, Europe, who were refugees in uh, Switzerland by some lucky accident. And so I uh, had my first companies and went through college in Switzerland and then eventually left for the U.S. and worked for uh, Microsoft in Seattle, and then uh, in 2004, finally moved to New York, where I've been living ever since. And you love it here. Well, New York is the place uh, where I've lived most of my life, and I don't intend to go anywhere else. So you have a very unique background uh, growing up in, in Soviet Russia and then you know, Soviet Union coming over here. I mean, you told me the story earlier about uh, how you used to translate books, which is how essentially it would be like exchange for payment? Well, actually, my father was a poetry translator. Yeah. Uh, he was a very well-known uh, Soviet poetry translator, speaks six languages. And these days he occasionally teaches at University of Geneva, but mostly he doesn't do uh, poetry anymore. Yeah. Uh, in the Soviet Union, he was a very important person uh, carrying culture from the French Pleiad to authors like Edgar Poe in translating those into Russian. So if you open any good poetry book of foreign poets in Russian, you'll find translations by him and maybe a handful of other 
very well-known translators. And yeah. so, yeah, books were uh, pretty much like currency for us because money didn't matter as much. We used to use books as a way of survival. Um, my parents would pay in books, doctors to come visit us and things like that. And books were everywhere. My our library was something like 13,000 books at home. Wow. 13,000. Yeah, you said on, on one talk that books were like your Obamacare. Yes, because uh, try to get a doctor to come see your kid uh, in the middle of negative uh, 20 temperatures in Moscow, where there's way more demand than actual doctors. Of course, if you have books that are not even, that may even be forbidden in the Soviet Union to give to your doctor, they will come right away. Wow. All right. What, um, I mean, talk about like your initial exposure to art. Like how did you get into art? You're a CTO, so you're an engineer. So we know the tech side, but where did art come into your life? I think it came from my family. We always appreciated art, and I was dragged to the Bolshoi Theater as a kid. A lot of a lot of Russian performance art was at the at the core of what my family did uh, for generations. Yeah. And we went to museums all the time. We lived amongst artists. That was that was what the intellectuals in Moscow did. So I think it comes from there. Okay. And then so it became it became also a habit and an interest. And uh, I just continued always being interested in art and making art as well. My dad and I uh, did a lot of watercolors in the suburbs of Moscow, and I loved it. Did you explore the intersection of art and technology before joining Artsy? Um, not really. I've always been uh, very good at separating the world of art and the world of technology. For me, they were always kind of the same thing, but I never thought about what's at the intersection. I just had my left and right brain organized that way. Yeah. It did, and now, so before it was separated, now it's coming together. It came together at Artsy in very interesting ways, in very unexpected ways. Uh, but I never thought of these two as either, as different things. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was the intersection of technology and art. I was just interested in both. And it didn't You're the embodiment of it. Uh, I, I guess so. And now, and now you're you're working in it. And I want to we I want to talk more about about our team a little bit. But you know, you I had this quote that I read, which uh, you said, "If social science taught us anything, it's once our basic you know needs and wants are met, self-actualization becomes a necessity, and we transform it form from luxury and leisure to a need." And so you believe that art is going to do something that goes from sort of a luxury to a leisure to eventually a need. Yeah. So that's an interesting point of view. Tell, tell us more about that. I don't believe it. I know it. You know it. Okay. Uh, I know it because I've lived it. I've seen what it's like to have all your needs, at least theoretically, be taken care of. Uh, that's how we lived in, uh, in the Soviet Union. And then when you have very little to do uh, in terms of your basic necessities, then you start looking for something that is more self-actualizing. And art is that answer. Mm -hmm. So I'm convinced that as robots take over the world uh, and start doing all our mechanical tasks, we will increase uh, the number of things we do around art. Okay. Well, let, let's circle around that. I mean, do you believe then, because I mean, I would say art right now is a luxury, especially in the US, right? And it's something that, you know, a large percentage of the population, they say, does not uh, engage as much with, right? It's certainly not a need. Uh, when, how do you think, and when do you think that will change? I mean, it says when the robots come, I and mean, when is that? Well, you don't believe that robots are coming? I, I mean, I'm not saying that I don't. I'm just curious. 
I think uh, art today plays a lot of more important roles than the way you describe it. For yeah. example, art has become very political. And uh, art has always been the reflection of our society. What you see today is artists making art to express what people are frustrated with or what people are interested in. Yeah. Art is not so abstract anymore. It is a mirror of what's going on in our world. And with politics being so relevant and important right now uh, in the United States, we see a lot of very political, very politically charged art. Um, so I think it's it's today art is already a lot more than uh, just leisure. Uh, and this is not new. Art in countries like uh, Russia or China has always been very powerful. Uh, we are just seeing it happen today here. Now, uh, it still mean it still doesn't mean that people are running to buy art or having art part of their life every day. Uh, but the numbers are growing tremendously. The amount of people going to museums is growing very rapidly. The amount of museums themselves are growing very rapidly. And uh, this interest is growing exponentially. It's very, very clear. And, and, and you think the driver of that is, is what? Is politics or? I think the driver of it is that people are realizing that uh, just having things is no longer making them happy. They grow up and they start caring about things like their children's education. And they understand that it's not enough to have a beautiful house and a car um, we went from a society where we owned a lot of these things, so a society that rents these things and where they are readily available. Uh, we are looking for something more meaningful to own. And that's how some people become art collectors. That's how people get uh, interested in this. We're going to a world where experiences matter a lot more than ownership, and art is changing with it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, with millennials, I say a big, big thing they want is experiences. And and that seems like something too that you know, museums are starting to understand a lot better and be more open to. Yeah, and uh, I uh, my first experience in the United States uh, around art and experiences was at Burning Man in two thousand three. Uh, I am by no means uh, one of those people who advocates that Burning Man is like the ultimate answer to all to everything, and that you absolutely shouldn't go. And but, however, I joined an amazing group of people. And uh, their purpose was to make art. And in 2003, we constructed a replica of the Athens Parthenon, a third of its size. And that was an incredible project. And 100 people worked relentlessly for eight months to make that happen. And uh, a giant semi-truck brought it to Burning Man, and then we built it up there. And that was an art project. And I experienced what it is to make art at grand scale. And I think what we're seeing now is that art in, in grand scale is coming to us. Uh, cities are more and more interested in creating public art projects. At Large public art projects are all over Manhattan now all the time. And every city is doing that because we want to bring art to the people. Museums are uh, almost a confined space for that. And museums are limited by their sheer size. But uh, I think they are, museums are extraordinarily important to the survival of the works, uh, the works that will be given to our children as a passing generation. And I think it's those street projects, you know, that's a great example of something that brings awareness. Because, you know, there are people who are intimidated to maybe go to a museum or certainly to go to a gallery. And by putting it, you know, within, you know, on the street or within neighborhood projects, it exposes them and raises their awareness to it. I mean, is that what, you know, how else can, have you seen cities or people 
you know, gain more awareness to art. New York City, for example, gives you access to most museums for free or virtually for free. There are things like New York ID. There are uh, school systems that are creating more and more opportunities for children to go and visit uh, museums. I, I guess in New York, I feel very lucky and privileged because yeah. we have so much. Uh, and uh, it's almost like we don't have to do that much to get to a museum. You can walk out, turn around a few blocks, and there's a museum. Yeah. Uh, I think cities are certainly promoting more and more and investing in programs that are that are public and are using city spaces to give artists a free reign over those spaces and let them create something uh, exceptional yeah. for the for the public for the greater good. I much rather have a, an installation that I find maybe terrible or great instead of having, you know, yet another shop or yet another mall or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I actually think some of the most innovative museums are ones that are not in big cities and certainly not in New York City because they have to try a lot harder. Ones like the, I think the Cleveland Museum is really innovative in terms of like how they go bad because they have to work a lot harder to get people to engage. Yeah, I used to live in Seattle and even a small museum like the Seattle Art Museum, I think has a great program and of, of good quality. Uh, I think people, if the people are not going to travel to see art, then art should travel to them. And uh, regional art is very important. Uh, and uh, museums have a huge role to play in that, in this whole ecosystem. Yeah. So tell, talk to us more about Artsy. What does Artsy do? So uh, Artsy is a company that's been around for about eight and something years. And it started as the Art Genome Project. The Art Genome Project is a classification system for uh, for art. We have art historians that apply uh, features, we call them genes, to every single artist and every single artwork. And then we use that data uh, to create an experience of discovering art that mimics what happens in the real world, where a curator puts together a show, shows you a work, and maybe similar works by other artists. So you, on Artsy, you see a work, and we show you similar works by other artists. The data is done by art historians, humans, and then the algorithms are just in, create the graph and the navigation system. What are some types of attributes that might be included in that? Uh, something like an art movement, for example, contemporary expressionism or pop art. So you could imagine an Andy Warhol soup can being a very high value, 100 out of 100 in pop art, for yeah. example. Um, the the Art Genome Project is a fascinating metadata research project, and uh, it's a it's a wealth of information. It's kind of an amazing resource. Um, so on top of that, we've built uh, a successful business. We have the largest gallery network with over two thousand galleries that are on the site. Galleries pay Artsy uh, to be on the site, and we help them find collectors uh, around the world. Uh, we don't take commission from sales from galleries. It's a subscription service. Uh, we work with top auction houses such as Christie's and Sotheby's and Philips and so on and so forth. And you can go and bid on uh, many, many auctions. We are running hundreds of auctions uh, on the site. Uh, and uh, we work with institutions as well. So all this art from galleries, institutions, museums, auction houses comes together uh, and we are uh, the largest database of contemporary art online. Um, so that together, we call that, uh, we, we can think of arts as a marketplace where you can go discover, learn, and buy art. And uh, we also have a publication 
uh, that its own uh, it's its own thing. Uh, we've grown to be the largest uh, online art publication. It's very well respected, wow. very well read. It's incredible, and we get a lot of help from some amazing brands uh, such as UBS or Gucci to sponsor content. Uh, we have a, a great story right now about the future of art. Uh, sponsored by BMW with uh, Trevor Paglin talking about that and other artists coming. Talk to me more about brands. I mean, because I've talked to a number of artists, you know, who are starting to work with brands. But in the art world, working with a brand can often be seen as selling out. I think it's important that the brand is not dictating what the artist makes. But brands are really important in bringing some of the topics to the general public. Producing uh, producing art, producing content about art is very, very expensive. If we want to uh, get artists to speak about uh, such important problems as uh, gender equality, for example. We need to hire a whole crew, film them, uh, create high-quality uh, product, and somebody has to pay for it. And I think a lot of brands have uh, recognized that they want to be part of this dialogue, that they want to sponsor uh, effort that is what we ultimately all want. And they're just providing the money, and uh, that's how advertising works. So I don't think that I don't think it's selling out. I think it's necessary. Uh, now I wouldn't let a brand dictate what we write about or what kind of art I would want to make. Yeah, I think that uh, as uh, as a successful artist, you must work with uh, those who are both interested in. Uh, in in giving you the opportunity to create more art and to grow you, yourself as an artist, yeah, uh, it's very important to recognize that there are patrons, and uh, it's you need patrons as an artist to be working on your art full time. Yeah, so so with Artsy, I mean the products you do, bring galleries online. I mean, I guess what you know we talked about this a little bit earlier. Like, what is the the problem that's trying to solve, or how do we how do we get to a point where if art is you know art's a need, and that we we help expose it to everyone. Where do you see Artsy's sort of role in that? Or... Yes, the world around us has been changing quite a bit. In the last five years, uh, there was a notable shift to the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not just about art. It's about everything. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Artsy was both instrumental and also understanding to how people are discovering art or want to discover art in this new time. And today I can say that a lot of art, if not maybe most art, uh, is being discovered through technology first. And uh, it is either social media, where I am hearing about a particular show, a particular exposition, yeah. a particular museum piece, or anything like that. Uh, it is through my friends. It is through publications like Artsy and many others. I'm finding the f that the first touch with art happens uh, through technology. Yeah. Now. It, what it does, it doesn't take me away from the art itself. All it is is the connection and the impulse to go and see the real thing. Absolutely. And where in five, five years ago, we would have museums saying we should not be online because it will take away our foot traffic. Now we're all recognizing that social media is what creates foot traffic to a large extent. Go see even uh, a museum quality show at David's Verna with the Ayoi Kusama. The line was four blocks long. It was three to four hours wait. And that's a, that's a free show open to the public of an exceptional quality. And the reason why the line was so long was because people heard about it from other people, from social media, and read about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we uh, we clearly see that art is being discovered using the internet. 
And I think the next, uh, the next step and the very important one is how do we engage people with that art? How do we create more patronage of the arts? Yeah. Uh, how do we create a way for people to buy more art and so on and so forth? And that's what we're focusing on. That's good. And the same happened, you know, with uh, purists in the music space when the radio came out. They're afraid that everyone would just sit in their home and listen to music. Instead of going to live shows, and it actually did, I mean, again, the opposite. It got more people excited about and interested in music and music they had never heard of and then want to go to shows. So it's more of a, a step rather than like the, the end. I agree. And I think the art world, by helping companies like Artsy, uh, has done better than the music industry. The music industry resisted very, very hard the technological advances uh, in the music industry. Yeah. And when the MP3s came around, the music industry has tried to block every kind of effort. And I think that's why we see the music today being controlled by very non-music-like companies, uh, such as Apple, for example. Yeah. Uh, I think the art world is, has recognized that it needs to create a better technological environment for fine art uh, and is investing well in, 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 the, in the, that space on the internet and beyond. Now, for all of you listeners who are looking to replace your boring IKEA poster or add another piece to your collection, Bango can help. Bango's revolutionizing the way we discover art. They use machine learning to recommend art that you'll like, augmented reality to let you visualize that art above your couch, and live chats that you text directly with designers, all from your iPhone. They made finding my first piece fun and easy. So don't wait. Visit bangoart.com or download the app on iTunes and use the promo code STATEOFTHEART for 15% off your first purchase. Now, back to the episode. You had this great quote where, you know, in this space, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of movement sort of in the online art space and I mean, Instagram has been a great platform because it has so many people and it's visual and it's curated. You know, there's also been a number of sort of like art startups, online galleries, you know, that I'd say have had mixed success. You know, Artsy really says emphatically it's you are, uh, you need to change the way people feel about art and that you're not just an e-commerce company, you're a tech company that's looking at how to solve that. What what does that mean? Um, I think Artsy is... First of all, Artsy comes from the art world. Uh, our A lot of people who work here genuinely care about art. I do. Uh, you know, I'm a part-time amateur artist, and I want art to be important and more important for everyone. There's 200 other people at Artsy like that. Uh, everywhere from management to every single individual contributor uh, it cares deeply about art, and this is a very important criteria uh, when we hire people. Uh, most of, uh, of what we've created comes from this, uh, this idea of creating something of quality worthy of art. Uh, we modeled ourselves on such examples as museums. Museums are beautiful buildings that are housing uh, humanities, um, uh, humanities heritage. And museums and works in the museums will survive me, will survive you, will survive my children. They belong to all of us. And what we wanted to create online is something that could get a little bit closer to that. We didn't try to build an e-commerce site. 
We didn't try to make something to sell art. We tried to make something worthy of the art itself. And I think we've succeeded and that's why Artsy has been successful where others have not. Um, and then the other as important aspect is that Artsy has never tried to be a disruptor in the art world. Uh, we have not tried and we don't want to compete with existing entities in the art world. We just want them to, we want to bring them to the 21st century. We apply technology at the service of the art world and not trying to use technology as a evil piece to disrupt the art world in some in some way. And uh, I know it's, it's difficult to... It's difficult to think about artsy and say, well, artsy is changing the art world today. How is it not a disruptor? But I think the world is changing all by itself. And we are trying to make it more efficient and uh, more digitally enabled, maybe. Use this word gravity. Yeah, yeah this, the word gravity comes from uh, Werner Vogels, who is the CTO of Amazon. And... Um, he, used, he says that Amazon has gravity. The world is moving online. And what Amazon is trying to do is catch it online. Uh, if it's not Amazon, somebody else will. There's plenty of e-commerce giants out there from you know, Rakuten to Walmart to you name it, right? So um, Amazon has been early and has been very, very good at creating the place where people buy things. And uh, it has some very unfortunate side effects like closing of the small shops and uh, the emptying of small towns in the United States. And I think that's terrible and we have to address that. Uh, in the art world, Artsy has a lot of gravity. Uh, we feel like we understand what people want and we're trying to serve them. We're trying to create tools to enable them to enter the art world, to participate in the art world, to help artists, to help uh, to connect them with galleries, to bid at auctions with ease, uh, to buy art, and uh, to read and learn about art, which I think is applies to everyone out there. Yeah. You know, the, the one, you know, an area that I always struggle with this is, um, and I think it is great in terms of the, the content, but, you know, galleries and sort of the art world are by design inclusive or exclusive. Uh, not terribly inclusive. It's not like it's art for everyone. And sometimes that's by price. Sometimes that's by sort of the atmosphere. I mean, how do you think about that? Is that something that subconsciously that you're hoping changes, that artsy helps change? Um, I think galleries are very, very important. And where we feel that they are a little bit exclusive, that they are only limited to uh, to certain people, I think that's just our perception. The truth is that galleries are actually extraordinarily open. Uh, galleries don't charge admission. Galleries are open fixed hours a day. And you can walk into any gallery and talk to anyone at the gallery and they will get up from their desk and explain to you any art piece and they'll go in depth and in breadth and they'll give you everything that you ever wanted to know about the artist. Uh, I think it's intimidating sometimes yeah. because they feel that way. But... It is as much on us as on them to create a less intimidating uh, experience. Now, I think it's important to have uh, both galleries that are very popular and also galleries that are very niche. And uh, in the art world, the way I imagine, there's a lot more galleries. And those galleries are the ones who are doing the very important job of discovering uh, the next important artist in a very, very small, important niche that nobody has realized yet. But somebody at the gallery, a curator, maybe an owner, has really seen they see the future and the galleries are there. They're like your agent. They nurture the artist. They hire the artist. The artist works with the gallery and they advance their career yeah. forward. The galleries are super important and uh, they are uh, 
I don't feel like galleries are so I think exclusive. you're going with an artsy badge and they treat you kindly. I don't think so. I never say where I work at the yeah. gallery. And I encourage all my friends who I drag to galleries uh, to ask questions. I go, th- I go to galleries with my kids all the time. And the kids, they are not afraid. You know, they, yeah. just, they just ask. And they speak their mind. And when they do, the galleries are super helpful and will spend an extraordinary amount of effort to give them to translate sometimes very difficult topics to yeah. you know a six-year-old level of an explanation. You too can Which walk into need, a gallery, yes. That. Just go and say, can you please explain to me like a six-year-old what I am looking at? And the gallery will be more than happy to do that. Don't be afraid. Okay. All right. Well, tell them that you sent us. Uh, you said in a, another talk, you have so many talks online, by the way. I, you know, in doing research for this podcast, I had probably spent about two and a half to three hours just watching you talk online, which was great. And you think about artists uh, will start being similar to startups. What is, you know, tell me more about, about that. Yeah, that, that's a possibility. Yeah. I think uh, if you think of an artist, they have a career, they could be a business. And uh, we really don't think of an artist as, uh, a successful, uh, it's it's unlikely that an artist will succeed because most artists fail. And I think that's very similar to startups. There is dozens of artists going through MFA programs that will never have an artist career, that will never be noticed, that will never be bought, that will never be sold. And uh, sometimes a that's patron, unfortunate. maybe, maybe not. I think we want a lot more artists and we definitely want a lot more successful artists. We want to find many more artists creating and being able to sustain themselves. But overall, we just want to give them that opportunity. Now, if the world is not receiving them and if the artist is not successful because they maybe had the kind of vision that w- did not resonate with the world, I think that's okay. I think it's okay to fail. Yeah. Uh, in, in, our, in our world today, we, we often say that it's not okay to fail, but maybe it is. And so if we give, if we, we, what we want is to give the opportunity for artists to fail. And that means we can fund artists at the very early days. And I think that's what patrons do. Patrons seek artists in studios and buy their works before anyone knows about those artists. They are, once you sold the painting, then you'll make another one. And that's three more months of work. And that's what patrons do today. Maybe we can find a way to fund artists in similar ways with more patronage. And maybe we can look at them a little bit like startups where it's okay to fail and then maybe some will succeed and become uh, become incredible. Interesting. Okay. So it's more the idea that like similar, like 99% of startups fail. That's what you're kind of making that analogy is 99% of artists might fail, but it's good to have more out there trying. Exactly. We want more artists and yeah. we want more artists to have the money to be artists and they should they should just accept that they can fail and you know give themselves give themselves a few years to try, yeah. and if they don't succeed, so be it. That's okay. Do you think that the the patronage or the funding mechanism will change? It's possible. I mean, there's all kinds of art, and there's yeah. art uh, which is funded by your friends, art funded by your patrons, art funded by galleries that hire artists. There is art paid for by cities and etc. Yeah. So there's there's many many models. I think any dollar that goes to the artist, one way or another, is good. Is a good dollar. It's a dollar well yeah. spent. I mean, do you think that you know? I mean, there's sort of crypto you know technology out there now. I mean, there's an artist who launched Bitcoin. Do you know about this? You know, where she launched her own cryptocurrency and funded herself that way. Uh, I mean, there are platforms, you know, I guess like Kickstarter and Patreon that are helping that fundage. I mean, do you see more funding going in those directions or do you think it will always be the traditional model? 
I think there's nothing traditional about art. And yeah. so traditional model is maybe a, an exaggeration to call it that way. Um, there's always patrons and there are always artists. Yeah. And uh, that, I think, model will not change. Now, how they exchange money mm -hmm. is, of course, a different uh, can can change a lot, and uh, and sometimes there are there are experiments that are really on the edges of this. For example, plantoid. That's an actual art object. It's a plant that uh, it's a computer, and it takes Bitcoin. You can send Bitcoin to the plant, and then the plant commissions uh, commi commissions works from artists. So it uses the Bitcoin that's being sent to it to commission a new piece of art from uh, an artist out of a list. So here, there's not. Uh, this is this is funding of a work that you don't even know. Uh, from home or what it's going to be. So we're going to see lots of interesting models of funding art and artists, I'm sure. Uh, but in the end, it is it will come from humans to want to uh, to spend money on uh, on art and artists to make art. Over the next five years, I mean, what what is your vision of, of sort of the art and tech space and how it evolves? Are there technologies that you think will really take off? Ones that won't? I don't have any uh, any oracle like predictions on, about what the uh, what the world will look like uh, in a, in a certain number of years. Certainly, I think technology technology will disappear more. Uh, technology is getting smaller and smaller, and we get to carry it, uh, you know, in our backpack, then in our pocket. I remember my first telephone, which was a, a Motorola StarTac that weighed like six pounds, and I had to lug a battery on my on my back. And now I can barely find my phone in a pile of things. Uh, so, and then it's more powerful than any computer that I've had. So I think we're going to see this more and more. Technology will disappear and will become part of our existence. I want to bring a screen out of thin air, and I want to see augmented reality indistinguishable from actual reality, where uh, it will be at my service and not just like as a wow factor. Yeah. So I'm really excited about those types of technologies being part of our daily life. We'll stop noticing them, and then uh, they will enable all kinds of new things. Uh, and then we can actually focus on the art itself and less on technology. And I'm excited about that future where uh, our, we we care about what's really important. I think the technology is technology itself is not that important. Yeah, but art certainly is. Yeah, yeah technology is a tool. Technology can be a tool. It yeah. can be an enabler. It can be a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, but just like we we know air is important for us to breathe, but we don't actively, and maybe we, we should care more about air we breathe, but yeah. we take air a little bit for granted. Yeah. And I think we are going to a place where we will take technology a little bit more for granted as we already do with some of the devices we have. And then we can focus on what's really important. Okay, what can we expect to see from Artsy in the next five years? I think Artsy will continue its, uh, it, it, its, its growth and will continue enabling more and more parts of the art world to be uh, part of the 21st century. Yeah. So we can expect a lot more efficiency. We, expect, we can expect a lot more tools, uh, a lot more exciting and useful features for every single part of the art world. If you are particip a participant in the art world, we want you to focus on your core competency. And then we want to create almost invisible tools for you to use every day. And then uh, from the so this is from the pure technical side of things. And then from our content, which is something I'm really excited about, I think we can expect a lot more coverage of the art world going deeper and going broader and uh, creating more content that people want to, to read, watch, hear about. Uh, we want to bring more art to people through education and through 
through coverage, yeah. definitely can expect a lot more from there. I'm really excited about that growth. That's great. And hopefully more with brands. I think brands are another way to help, you know, the average person engage with art, you know, for a first time. Yeah. And brands have, uh, many brands have already realized that pure product advertising doesn't work. Yeah. Increasingly, people are adding ad blockers all over the place. Yeah. And, you know, I run one. And I don't want to see ads for uh, for for an object anymore. But I want to see the brands that I care about sponsor things that I uh, really want to see in the world. Yeah. And uh, and that kind of patronage, I think, is what where brands are going. And I'm certainly excited about and thankful for all the sponsors we already have, and looking forward to many more that are going to come and help us uh, create a world with more art. Great, Daniel. This has been a pleasure. I wish we could keep going, but before I let you go, can we do a quick rapid fire? Sure, we can try. <laughs> okay, we can try. I think you've got this. One, who's your favorite artist right now? Uh, Steven Asael, a, uh, somebody who does uh, a lot of figure drawing, and uh, I think his drawings are and paintings are incredible. Okay. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I think uh, I would want uh, to be able to shapeshift. Oh, why is that? Um, it would be an interesting experience to see the world from very different views, viewpoints. And I think it's compatible with how I see the world of art. Art helps me see the world from very different viewpoints. And so shapeshifting would allow me to actually experience that and live that way. I like, okay. What year will art be as popular as music? If you, uh, if you look at uh, one of our board members, Bob Pittman, who founded MTV, uh, who will say, uh, I made music as popular as music. So when was MTV founded? You know, 82. 82. So I think we have about that, uh, hopefully a shorter distance than that to run. But MTV made music extraordinarily popular in like a decade. Yeah. So I think we have maybe five more years to go and we will truly see art as popular as music. Okay, we're going to have you back on in five years. Daniel, thanks so much. Where can the audience find you and where can they find Artsy? Uh, Artsy is artsy.net. I am uh, dblock.org on uh, Twitter, so D-B-L-O-C-K, uh, D-O-T-O-R-G. That's also my website, dblock.org. Um, artdblock.org in one word on Instagram for my own drawings. And thanks for having me. Great. Thank you. So don't forget to visit Artsy at artsy.net and find Daniel on Twitter at dblock.org. And... If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh yeah, and don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind the scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode, and really cool art videos you're going to want to show your friends. Thanks again to Bango for sponsoring this episode and to all of you for listening. Remember, if you're an artist looking to create more or a buyer wanting to enrich your home with original art, visit vangoart.co slash podcast and save 30%. Until next week, you can reach out to me directly on Twitter at Ethan Appleby with thoughts, feedbacks, and even compliments. I also want to say that State of the Art is a team effort. I could not have done it without our producer, Sarah Vitek, who runs creative outreach and is a jack of all trades. To Wes Stevens, who's the most meticulous audio engineer and makes me sound way better than I should. And to Deepak Kanda, who creates the original artwork. 